0: It is said that the only certainties for us, for all of us, the only certainties are death and taxes. All of us will die. It's inevitable. Death is the elephant in the room. Not even Elon Musk can buy his way around death. The reality is that we are all dying. Our teeth are decaying. We can't read the fine print anymore. We're easily tired. Some have terminal sicknesses and don't even realize it. And yet, the philosophers of our day are telling us things like this let's celebrate death because death is just part of the cycle. Death is a normal part of life. No, no, death is not natural. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, the wages of sin is death. The great preacher Boyce says, death is the grim wages of sin and is the prelude to judgment. The wages of sin is death. Rebelling against God, breaking God's commands, sin, that's sin, Sin has poured out death upon this world. Sin has cursed us. The wages of sin is killing us. It's killing us. And sin's curse, sin's precursors to death, the precursors to death, really the act of Dying has brought so much sorrow into this world, so much pain. Sin has brought the curse of sickness. Sin has uh, brought the curse of physical pain, of emotional pain, of poverty, of sweaty labor. Sin has cursed us with loneliness, with all kinds of trouble, disappointment, and brokenness. But at the end of the day, the end game of sin is your death. You will die. Sin will just not release its hold on you until you're dead. Genesis chapter 5, remember the genealogy. Adam was born, and then he died. Seth, this many years. Then he died. Enosh, then he died. Kenan, guess what it says after that? Then he died. On down the line, death is unrelenting. No way around it. Death is not natural. Death is the enemy. Death is a problem. Death must be conquered. And no one has ever been able to deal with death. No one has ever been able to defeat death. No one has ever been able to overcome death until now. Until a man from Nazareth, whose name is Jesus... Did the impossible. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 7 in our text. This morning will be Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Turn to that place. Luke chapter 7, we will start reading in verse 11. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, He felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and he touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding district. So not too long after... Jesus just spoke the word and and healed uh, the centurion slave who was on his deathbed, his word of authority. Not too long after this, the text says, Jesus and his disciples, and of course there's that large crowd again of followers of, of Christ. This large crowd is following him around and They travel from Capernaum to a little unknown town called Nain. It's only mentioned here in the Bible, but what an important town it is. It's about a day's uh, travel from Capernaum, about 20 miles southwest of Capernaum where he met the centurion. It happened soon after that passage with uh, with the, um, the centurion. And in this passage, uh, the shadow of death and the divine Son of God meet face to face. The dominion of death and the author of life clash, and we will receive in this passage the best news that has ever been announced to all of the world. And here it is, death has finally met its match. for the word of Jesus Christ has the authority to overcome even death itself. So we're going to answer two questions this morning about the overcoming of death by Jesus in Luke chapter 7:11 7, through 17. The first question and a very important question is this, how did Jesus overcome death? How? And in order to answer that question, we're just going to trace Luke's story here and and look at what Jesus did. We're going to look at four stages or four movements of Jesus as he overcomes the death of a widow's son or maybe the widow's son from that little town called Nain. So first, how did Jesus overcome death? First, he sovereignly comes. Number one, he sovereignly comes. Look at verse 12. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out. And so a young man had died. And in that day, Uh, The day of your death was the day of your funeral was the day of your burial because they didn't have an ability to to hold down the decay and those sorts of things. So everything happened at once. It was all a shock. The emotions were in a flurry. And there was a funeral that took place already in the town. And this is probably towards the end of the day um, after the funeral was done and it's time for the burial. It's time for the burial. It would happen the same day. So it's towards the evening, and this funeral procession that would include certainly some hired flute players and would actually include a professional wailers, professional mourners, um, typically women who were hired to cry. And 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 also the whole town who felt bad for this widow seems to be with this widow and supporting her. And they were all coming out of the gate of a little town called Nain. They were happened to be... It just so happened that they they were coming out at the end of the day just as Jesus and his disciples and another large crowd, two large crowds right outside the gate of Nain that clashed. At the exact time this happened, In fact, in the Greek text, as Jesus was about to enter the gate, the text says, and behold, Luke wants us to see something, and behold, they were carrying one who had died. Luke wants us to see it. He wants to fix our attention on this. Is it a coincidence that the author of life and the shadow of death Clash and meet outside that gate in Nain that day. Absolutely not. It's perfect timing. It's ordained timing. God in his providence has the word of life. (laughs) Confronting death outside that city gate in a no-name town called Nain. Pathetic little town. Archaeologists even are debating whether it existed. It existed because it's in the Bible. It's incredible that Jesus sovereignly comes to Nain at just the right time. Isn't that incredible for you and for me that before time's eternal... God-ordained, God-planned that the Son of God would cross your path at just the right time. Think of your story. I've heard your stories. Isn't that amazing that there was a point in time in His providence when your path And the path of Jesus just so happened to cross. I remember when I was 18 years old, came back from Michigan Tech my freshman year of college. Came back for Christmas break and went skiing and broke my neck, first year of college. Was put in a halo cast with the screws. You probably can see the little holes right there, little scars. Put it in a cast for three months. I was in a Halo cast. I was pretty bummed out. But I went to the University of Northwestern to watch my buddy play basketball because I didn't have anything else to do. Well, there happened to be a redhead in the gym that night. And her name was Jody. And the rest is history. I broke my neck to meet my wife. It just so happened. It just so happened. Do you think that was a coincidence? Do you think that was an accident? Well, that was meeting my wife. How much more Jesus coming to you when you were dead in trespasses and sins? You weren't asking for him. You weren't seeking him out. You didn't do your part for the paths to cross. He came and found you out. At just the right time, he came for you. You couldn't chase after him. You couldn't seek him. You were dead. Dead. And he found you. And he had to meet your funeral procession. Isn't that amazing? And he did come for you. And he came to you and he overcame your death and he passed you out of death into life. He spoke the word of life to you. Isn't it amazing that he caused you to be born again? Isn't it amazing that he planned your resurrection? He did. Praise God that in time he found us, that he came to us to wake us up from the dead. It's no accident that you are a Christian. Your spiritual resurrection is no accident. The Holy Trinity controls it all so that Jesus would cross your path All the glory for our salvation belongs to God and God alone. Thank you, Jesus, for finding us out. Thank you for sovereignly coming to me and for sovereignly coming to you. This is what Luke wants us to see. He means to show us, first, that Jesus sovereignly comes to us as an answer to how he overcomes our death. Secondly, He tenderly cares. Number one, He sovereignly comes. Number two, He tenderly cares. Verse 12. Now as He approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. This is such a heartbreaking scene. I won't be able to just, Holy Spirit, help us to use our moral imaginations. I want you to feel this. Luke really wants us to see this. There's a young man that had died. He was young. Probably a little bit younger than Micah. Maybe 16, 17, 18 years of age. So this young man dies The only son. The only son of his mother. There's nothing more heartbreaking than the death of one of your children. Some of you have felt that. Feel that. The death of an only son, as John MacArthur said, symbolized quotes the epitome of grief in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 6, verse 26, exhorted Israel to mourn as for an only son, a lamentation most bitter. If you've lost a child, even through miscarriage, it's the most painful and unnatural thing to bear. Think about it. When all of life and all of its potential and all of the dreams that you have for that child, when all that is snuffed out early on, all of that potential, all of that wonder, one has said, "Quotes: death is a cruel thief when it strikes down the young. End quotes. This is perhaps the greatest agony that is possible in this life, and as Kent Hughes says, it's a burden that, frankly, all parents fear. We try not to, but all parents fear this burden. And in this woman from Nain, it was her only son. She had lost her greatest joy. She had lost her boy. And with the loss of her only son, she had lost her final source of any financial support. She had lost any kind of protection that she would have, had completely vanished. Any hope of of carrying on the family name was completely gone. And in some sense, to be honest with you, this was just insult to uh, injury. Anybody been there, insult to injury? Come on. She had already been widowed, She had already lost the love of her life. The love of her life was gone, and now she was completely alone. Yes, the crowd and their professionals, and they felt bad, and they mourned with her, but she, and they knew it. That's why they were there. They felt pity. She was alone. She was abandoned. No longer would she hug her boy. No longer would she hear his footsteps on the floor. No longer would she feel the loving embrace of her husband. And at the end of the day, this was a loud funeral procession. And it wasn't happy. This one wasn't happy at all. They were mourning. They were wailing. And the widow was included. She was weeping over her loss. So there was a loud crowd coming out of the gate that day. Enter another loud crowd that met the weepers. And in all of that loudness and all of that commotion, Jesus hears her. And then Jesus sees her. He sees her tears. Look at verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Even with all of the other distractions, Jesus noticed this woman. Jesus noticed, not just this woman, Jesus noticed her tears. He cared. He has compassion on the brokenhearted. He, he sees the weary and heavy laden. He is gentle and lowly of heart. He knows the pain that you carry. He doesn't just see you like I see you. But the text says more than that. The text says he feels for her. And it's a very important word. It's a very important word. He felt compassion for her. The idea of this compassion is the strongest possible word that Luke could have chosen so that we could feel with Jesus the pain of Jesus. This word for compassion speaks about its gross, hang in there, I'm a medical person. It speaks about the liver and the lungs and the guts, the bowels. Literally, he felt, he had gut-wrenching pain in his inner man, his inner organs, his heart, when he sees her. He doesn't just see her, you see, he suffers with her. He feels it in his gut. There's a physical effect. There's a pity. There's an emotional response at the heart of Jesus deep down. We call it this, a gut reaction. It's like when Jesus sees Martha and Mary weeping over the death of Lazarus. And the text says in John eleven thirty three that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit, that he was greatly troubled and that word for troubled is this, his body was reacting to it. It was trembling. The text even says he was convulsing. And we know that that trembling and we know that convulsing. And our Lord Jesus Christ gave way to tears. In the shortest verse of the New Testament, Jesus wept. Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus. Jesus Christ, the God-man. Did you notice what Luke calls Jesus right at this point? This is not an accident. Look at verse 13. When the Lord saw her. Luke is wanting to highlight the person of Christ. When we see Jesus, brothers and sisters, you want to know what God is like? When we see Jesus, we see what God is like. We are not to think of God as some distant and disinterested individual. Psalm 103 verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. This is the Lord, as one poet said, quotes, in every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows has a part, end quotes. You know, I know what many of you are going through. I do, at least some of it. I don't know all of it. We don't tend to share all of it. But all of us are carrying a lot of pain. But Jesus does know. Jesus doesn't just know. Jesus feels. His heart is for you. He's not faking it like we do. We try not to, but we can't help it we got our own problems. He doesn't. He's all in. It's not superficial. It's deep. The man of all sorrows feels for broken sinners. The man of our sorrows receives us out of compassion and pity. You have to understand, he's not dead. He's alive. There's a man in heaven right now with the same heart, the same heart that we see in this passage. He has the same heart for sinners today as he did back then. He's alive. He's well. He's still as compassionate as he was when he was upon the earth. As J.C. Ryle said, there is no friend or comforter who can be compared to Christ. In all our days of darkness, which must needs be many, he says, let us first turn for consolation to Jesus, the Son of God, because he will never fail us. He will never disappoint us. He will never refuse to take full interest in all of our sorrows. End quotes. Oh, and Jesus doesn't just see us. And I like this. Jesus doesn't just feel for us, all right? He speaks to us. Look what he does. He he acts upon his pity, he acts upon his compassion. The text says in verse 13, And he said to her, Do not weep. Now, If I say to you after you have a miscarriage, hey, do not weep, there will be a second slap heard around the world. If I come to a funeral and I have, as I preach a sermon and I tell the family who's weeping in front, do not weep, it's a very calloused thing to say. It would be rude. But when Jesus says, do not weep, He's going to give you a reason to wipe your tears away. And I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't just feel your pain and agony, that your sin and, and the curse of sin has brought to you, and the death that is coming, that you're broken, and He weeps over it. He cares for us, but He doesn't just feel that. He's going to work. He's going to work. He's going to talk to you when he says to you, hey, do not weep. He means to do something. He means to back up those words. He means not to be rude. He means to redeem. He turns his pity into power. He turns his sadness into salvation. He turns his compassion into confrontation of your death. So aren't you glad that that Jesus can do something about it? He is willing. Oh, praise God that he sovereignly, he sovereignly met us, that he tenderly cares for us, but he means to do something. And that leads us to our third point about how Jesus overcame death. First, he sovereignly controls. Second, he tenderly cares. Third, he authoritatively calls he authoritatively calls. Verse 14, And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bears came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. Now the young man, the text says coffin, it doesn't work. Okay, It's not a great translation because we think of the the fact that this young man was uh, inside a box. He was not in a box. This word is almost like a stretcher. Think more of you know, a stretcher with four probably men carrying it. And this body is, is, is shrouded. Um, it has a cloth over it. There's a dead body and there's people wailing and playing the flutes all around it. You see it? It's not a coffin. And Jesus came up and he does the unthinkable He touches it. He touches that stretcher, and the bears came to a halt. You think? (laughs) I'd stop too. They come to a halt, and Jesus touches the plank, the stretcher. And according to Numbers chapter 19, verses 11 through 20, anyone who touched, a dead person or anything associated with that person would be ceremonially unclean. They would be defiled. And Jesus doesn't do anything. He simply speaks. He he speaks to a corpse. Who does that? He speaks to a corpse. Young man... And the Greek text says this, Young man, to you I say. To you I say, rise up. No one asks for Jesus to come over and speak to him. Jesus acts. Jesus speaks. He acts on his own initiative. It's not like the man asked him to do it. The man was dead. By the way, could the dead young man contribute to his own resurrection? Could he give Jesus a hand? Was not the case that in respect to that young man, his case was absolutely hopeless. That's what we're meant to see here. We're meant to see this. Jesus, Jesus authoritatively calls out to sinners who are dead in trespasses. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, For we were dead in trespasses and sins. But then there's that wonderful verse, But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, in our salvation stories, God In Christ must sovereignly come to us. And he comes to us because he tenderly cares for us. He doesn't just care for no-namers. He cares for you. He knows your story. He came and intersected your life. And he didn't just call generically to a world of generic sinners. He says, to you, to you I say, specifically you, listen to the life-giving voice of Jesus. And he what? He authoritatively calls out to a corpse. That is your story. If you are alive in Christ here, Jesus came to you and you heard the life-giving voice of Jesus Christ, just like Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. How did he hear? He was given ears to hear the life-giving voice of Jesus Christ. He spoke to you. And what happened on that day? See, Jesus, if I put my hand here and you put your hand there together, we'll work to get me out of this deadness. Forget about it. It's by grace. What does he do next? Well, the fourth movement here, he overwhelmingly conquers. He overwhelmingly conquers. Look at verse 15. The dead man sat up. I mean, this is creepy, the way Luke writes it. It's literally the corpse sat up. The dead man sat up and began to speak. Incidentally, he didn't need six months of any speech therapy to help Jesus out in his resurrection power. No. The dead man sat up and he began to speak and Jesus gave him back to his mother. The corpse sat up. He sits up and he begins to speak. His skin pinkens up and warms. His blood begins to flow. His heart begins to pump and the pinnacle of our passage is Jesus now caring for the mother how tender is this and Jesus gave him back to his mother, here he is here's your son, take him back home not come follow me. You know, Don't worry, he's going to count the cost. He's going to be in the next apostle. No, no. Give him back to his mother. Can you see that? Can you imagine the joy? In our scripture reading that Jason Foss read, we read about the great prophet Elijah healing the widow in 1 Kings chapter 17. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room. After he was healed, into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. And I want you to know that that phrase, and gave him to the mother, is exactly the same in the Greek translation of the Old Testament as we find right here in this passage. We are meant to compare these passages And then Jesus conquered death for that boy. Did this young man need to help out Jesus in any way in his his physical resurrection? Are you going to help Jesus out in your spiritual resurrection? Christian. He loves me, he loves me not. I'm a Christian, I'm not a Christian. Hold on a second. Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus raised you from the dead. You don't got to help him. You don't got to complete it. You got to live it out. Live out his life. You either alive or you're not. Make no mistake about it. He knows how to raise you from the dead. He has given you life, and I love this. He's brought you back home. He's brought you back home. He's restored you to family. We have spiritual family. We are restored and we become adopted into the family of God. He brings you home. So how did Jesus overcome death? Well, there are four movements in this passage about how Jesus overcomes death and the widow's son from Nain, all of which picture what Jesus did for you and for me spiritually when he brought us out of death and into life and our own salvation. Number one, and you know this is your story. Now let's rejoice in it. He sovereignly comes to us. Number two, he tenderly cares for us. Number three, he authoritatively calls out to us. And number four, he overwhelmingly conquers death and restores us to the family of God. That's how Jesus overcame your death. Question number two, what is the response to Jesus overcoming death? What is the response? Well, let's first look at the crowd's response, and then let's finish up by looking at our response to this passage today as we prepare for the Lord's table. So number one, what's the response? The crowd's response, well, let's look at it, verse 16 those who were in the funeral procession that day and, of course, the, the would-be disciples in the crowd that were packed around Jesus as well. Number, look at 16, fear. Fear gripped them all and they began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. This report concerning him went out all, uh, all over Judea and in all the surrounding district. So... When you see a corpse sit up, it's very appropriate to be filled with fear, with reverential awe. And frankly, I think it would be appropriate to have a bit of terror mixed in as well. Now, they recognize, the crowd recognizes as they respond that this is not some magic, cheap magic trick. That this really happened. And that God was there somehow. That God was there. They began to praise God. The text says they begin to glorify God because they know that it's only the power of God that has done this. Now they don't see in Jesus the crowd at that point. Maybe some are beginning to see, some didn't fully see, but they didn't see that that Jesus, that was God in the flesh. But God was there. God's power was there. And so they do what people today do when they hear great stories about Jesus. This is a great teacher. There's a great prophet that is here. And, of course, they're thinking of Elijah. Clearly, the connection is with Elijah. They're thinking of Elijah. They're thinking of a, uh, the story of the widow resuscitated by Elijah in 1 Kings 17. And, and they're saying, here it is. Is this Elijah? Is this a great prophet? And they, but they have an incomplete knowledge of God. But they get closer with the next part of their response. They get closer when they say that not only God is there, but now they're getting warm. And Luke wants us to see this, that God has visited his people. God has visited his people. The word for visited is so wonderful. Listen to this. This word visited means that this all-powerful, transcendent God had visited his people He was right there with the sound and the flutes and the tears and the wailing. God was there. He had visited his people. Visited means, as scholars have noted, here I'll give you four different translations that if you put them all together, you'll get the feel of that word visited. It means to show concern for his people. That word visited means to show interest in his people. That word means to come near to his people in order to help. That word could be translated to come to look after his people. Luke knows what he's doing. He, he picks one of the most tender words for God coming to his people. The God of power coming in pity to help his people. They recognize that is happening. the same word that is used earlier by the father of John the Baptist, Zacharias, in the prophecy in chapter 1, verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace so they knew that God was there that God was visiting his people some knew more some knew less but make no mistake about it they were excited I mean the power of God visiting his people to overcome physical death they weren't ashamed of it They worshiped and they witnessed. That is the proper response of the crowd. I mean, they were getting close. They worshiped to some degree and they witnessed to a full degree. They went out and the news about Jesus spread to all the surrounding countryside, to all the surrounding cities. Do you see the proper response? I mean, here's what we have physical death? Who cares? We're going to die again. But what Jesus has offered us is eternal life to pass us spiritually out of death and into life. Oh, what news we have. Oh, we should spread it to the countrysides. We should spread it to the cities. We should worship in a fuller sense. We should witness in a fuller sense than that crowd did that day. And that leads us then to our response as we close and prepare for the Lord's table. Yes, Luke tells us what our response ought to be. It always ought to be this in light of the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's worship and witness. It's worship and witness. But why? Now, get ready. Put your seatbelts on. Don't Don't lose it now. This is the time to wake up and pay attention. Why? Why us with what we know? Why do we worship and witness? What is our response to the life-giving voice of Jesus Christ? Well, why? In 1 Kings chapter 17, 17 through 24, a great miracle occurred by Elijah and the widow's son. But Elijah carried out that young boy to the upper room. Okay, he carried him up to the upper room the upper room, he laid on him, he called out to the Lord in prayer, he stretched himself upon the child three times, basically he did, look, my son's dead, he just gave him CPR, let's call a spade a spade. That's Elijah praying to God, and the Lord answered his prayer. The text says and the life of the child returned and he gave him to his mother for Elijah it was all kinds of gyrations and all of that and laying on him three times and what we're meant to see is yes Jesus is one like Elijah but he is greater than Elijah to be sure he's much more than than Elijah for in our account there's no Pleading, there's no laying down, there's no CPR given. There is the authoritative, life giving word of our Lord Jesus Christ who speaks, and this man sits up. The authority of the word of Christ, the word of power. This is not simply a prophet, this is more than a prophet. Luke tells us, he calls him, This is the Lord. And we're meant to see us. The Lord is here. Not in just some way and some power. No, here he is in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the son of God. He is taken upon flesh. In this one, our Lord Jesus Christ. the God has visited his people. He has come in power in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's come sovereignly to us. And he's come tenderly to us and he speaks to us individually and he calls out to us and he has overcome our death and he spoke the word arise and we popped up and we began to speak oh should we not worship God has visited his people in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ he loves us he's called us he ever lives to intercede for us oh go spread it spread it to the edges, worship and witness, just like the widow had an only son. It is the only son of God who touched the stretcher and spoke that day. For you Greek scholars, monogenes is used here and in John 3.16, Luke is very clear connecting the only son. Jesus touches the stretcher, do you realize that in touching the stretcher, Jesus was ceremonially defiled. He took on defilement. Now listen, in the touch, Luke is clear on this. In the touch, Jesus would symbolizing. He's symbolizing how he is going to undo death itself. That he is going to take on the defilement of the sin that caused that one's death. And in his touch, he's going to give the perfection that this one kneeled. He takes on defilement so that we would sit up spiritually and spiritually so that we could be restored to the family of God. So that we could be adopted into his family. He took our defilement upon himself. Jesus became a corpse. Let it sink in. Jesus became a corpse so that our corpse would sit up and speak. He died so that we might live it's Holy Week very soon where we commemorate and celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ. And I'll tell you what, this passage is perfect. This passage is a perfect commercial for the end. For the word of Jesus Christ has the authority that even the dead will hear and obey. The word of Jesus has authority to overcome even death itself. And so in this passage, oh, it's so rich I haven't covered the tip of the iceberg of this passage. In this passage, it has all the seeds that are developed in the New Testament Scriptures about the life-giving voice of the Son of God. Just consider these and worship now. John 5, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come forth. And Philippians 3, 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. And First Thessalonians four sixteen, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise forth first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Do you realize he's spoken to you and brought you life, but do you realize you're going to hear his voice again? He will speak to you again. Jeff, come forth. Ron, rise up. Jody, get up. We have heard his voice and we will hear his voice again. For Jesus isn't one who just gives life, he is life. And Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, even if he dies... And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Jesus asked Martha. And I ask you, do you believe this? Can you say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, when you think of the inevitability of death itself, can you mock death? Can you mock death itself and say, oh, death, where is your victory now? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that final victory, that final victory, listen, is when he will say to us again, do not weep. I say to you, arise, arise. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Amen.